Open the laptop to type. I put my name into Skype. Some blog we're going to hype. And now they're on the pod. We're talking football and things happening in wrestling rings. But you just ask which one sings. You're listening to the pod. Don't tell your parents. Vandenberg killed the Barons. Is it time to fire Ferrance? Askascout.com at baby. You're listening to a sonic bomb blast of stats and dick jokes. Blackheart Gold Podcast. Totally amateurish. Not even broadcast. Sometimes in Spanish. Blackheart Gold Podcast. You hear the ice cubes in our rocks glass. We don't even edit. Blackheart Gold Podcast. There aren't that many words that rhyme with podcast. Let's start the interview. Blackheart Gold Podcast. Blackheart Gold Podcast, episode 81, coming at you on a very, very hot um, Independence Day in Point, Iowa. And on a, on a 4th of July, there's really nothing better to do than to talk about Canadian football. And so we've brought on um, Andrew Buckholtz, who is the proprietor of 55 Yard Line, the uh, Yahoo Canadian football blog, to talk about uh, the CFL, to talk about uh, the the Iowa players were playing the CFL and a couple other things that that uh, we've noticed from our our brief time watching Drew Tate uh, play quarterback. Uh, Andrew, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Sure, coming at us from from Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah, got to get up early in the morning to to get on a call when you're when you're that far west. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's perfectly all right though. Uh, nothing nothing like talking uh, a little CFL with some college football fans. So. Yeah, and uh, happy Canada Day to you too, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Happy Independence Day. <laughs> thank you. Um, all right. Well, for people who haven't seen um, uh, the CFL, what are the what are the big differences between it and American football? I mean, obviously, we know about you know longer field, wider field, mm-hmm. three downs mm-hmm. uh, to to get a first down. Um, are there any other any other big changes? Well, uh, the biggest thing I'd say is that it's twelve guys aside rather than eleven, and uh, uh, that doesn't sound like much of a change, but as you know, I mean, it, it means that you have to completely rewrite the uh, the route packages, you have to rewrite the plays, you've got to rewrite the defensive coverages. So that's a huge change in the game, and that's one that uh, it often makes it particularly difficult for quarterbacks, in particular, to adapt to this league. Just because all of a sudden there's this extra guy on both sides they've got to account for. Uh, there's also a one-yard neutral zone between the offensive and defensive lines on every play, which changes things the line of scrimmage quite significantly. And another little interesting thing is um, when, uh, the goal posts for uh, field goals are at the front of the end zone rather than the back. So uh, if, if a field goal is missed, uh, you can run it out of the end zone. Uh, that all, the, uh, people can also use them as picks on some passing plays. And uh, the, if you kick a field goal or a punt, that, a field goal that misses or a punt goes through the back of the end zone, it's a rouge. So it's worth a single point. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So if you kick, if you kick a field goal that misses or a punt, but you put it through the back of the end zone, it's worth one. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, the reason we, we brought you on primarily is because uh, a former Iowa quarterback mm-hmm. and a former very famous Iowa quarterback, mm-hmm. Drew Tate, has has become a starting quarterback in, in Calgary, which is now my favorite team. Um, uh, 
you mentioned in your in your post about him that mm-hmm. that he's the youngest starting quarterback in the CFL, and yet mm-hmm. he's been out of college for six years now. Mm-hmm. Um, is it because of the twelve man thing that that it takes a while for quarterbacks to to develop into starters? Yeah, I'd say that's absolutely the biggest reason why it takes so long. And just because, like I said earlier, I mean, you've got to you've got to essentially redesign a lot of the playbook. It's still the, it's still the same sort of roots. Like we're not doing anything really revolutionary up here, but you have to work them in different combinations because of that extra guy. And also, the defensive coverages tend to look a lot different up here because it's a more passing focus game so you'll get some teams they're playing with only two linebackers and, and so like four four down linemen two linebackers and six defensive backs so that can be a pretty big change uh for quarterbacks um also just only having three downs to work with is a, is a huge change and also uh, receivers get to use a lot more motion before the play here so that changes things quite a bit as well uh, there's a lot more quick outs and slants so yeah yeah, it's it's a it's a league that takes quite a while to adjust to, especially for guys coming in at, from the NCAA as quarterbacks. But uh, Tate has done quite well. I mean, uh, he, he's uh, he served as a, a bit of an apprentice in Saskatchewan for a while. He's been with Calgary since '09, and uh, last year he beat out uh, Henry Burris, who's been around been around forever and is now another uh, team starting quarterback off in Hamilton. So Tate uh, showed he. He deserved the starting job, and uh, his debut was uh, certainly very promising. Um, what did what what was the the dynamic there between mm-hmm. Tate, you know, ascending to, to pass Burris? When I read, Burris mm-hmm. has been like Dan Marino up there. He's been there forever. He's mm-hmm. he's been incredibly successful. How did? What happened that, that, that gave Tate the starting job? Well, I mean, the interesting thing was at the time the Stampeders made that move, which was towards the end of last year, I didn't really think it would, they were doing the right thing because um, Burris, he wasn't having his greatest season, but he was the league's reigning most outstanding player at this point. Uh, his stats were still generally pretty good. What the concern was about really was there were some games where he, he wasn't playing well at all. There were some games where he was great, and also the team was sort of struggling, and a lot of that got blamed on him. Uh, when when Tate came in, uh, this is the last few games of last year, uh, his stats weren't great at first, but they started winning, and that always seems to solve a lot of problems. But uh, Tate's gotten better over his various starts. Um, he struggled in the playoff game they had last year and was actually pulled for Burris, uh, but uh, he managed to bounce back from that. Um, he did. He sh- obviously showed Calgary enough that they weren't afraid to trade Burris in the offseason. And, uh, yeah, he's coming into this year as a clear starter, and he had a great performance in his first game. Um, Iowa fans know Tate for kind of being a real scrambler in the mm-hmm. backfield. And for chucking it as hard as he can, as deep as he can, pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a bit of criticism of him, especially late, that that he wasn't. He was a you know certainly a team leader, but that that he he yelled a lot. He was very vocal, very kind of angry. Some of the players didn't didn't take kindly to that. Um, have there been any signs of of either of those those traits from him in the CFL? 
Well, uh, I'd say uh, the scrambling is certainly there, and up here that is an incredibly positive thing uh, because of because of those free downs, because of the emphasis on the pass. Uh, often teams aren't defending the run all that much, especially when it's coming from a quarterback. So if you can make some plays with your legs, that really boosts your standing as a quarterback in this league. And Tate's been able to do that so far. Uh, the arm strength is obviously still there. Yeah, he yeah he can he can definitely throw it deep but I mean I I wouldn't say he's doing it excessively and something that certainly helps uh, Tate is that he's working with a couple of great offensive minds in Calgary uh, uh, and a couple of former quarterbacks Uh, the head coach uh, John Huffnagel was famed uh, college quarterback and then uh, CFL quarterback as well and the same with uh, Dave Dickinson who is who's offensive coordinator now Uh, he was a legendary CFL quarterback up here so Tate's working with some great offensive minds Um, he's got some good receivers to work with especially Nick Lewis and uh, he's got a strong running game with uh, former uh, Kansas man John Cornish so uh, I think the pieces are in place for him to succeed and so far we've seen pretty much the good side of those tapes I haven't really noticed a lot of the angry sort of yelling but maybe maybe that'll happen if things start to go wrong so he might start losing first before that starts happening but um, uh, it's great to see him play again it's been probably six years since I've really had a chance to watch him, and, and it was certainly interesting. Um, you, you'd mentioned in your, your preview this year of the Stampeders that they were a lot like the movie Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah. Um, a movie that, that holds a very special place in my heart. Uh, but I noticed that you'd, you'd mentioned that they lost their first-round pick before the season even began. Yeah. yeah. What happened there? Yeah, well, I mean, that was the main reason I went with the Spaceballs comparison, because, I mean, a lot of, a lot of friends, I'd say the Stampeders are generally pretty competent. They generally do a pretty good job, but that first-round pick was just a fiasco. What it was was they used their first-round draft pick. Uh, um, something I should note is that first-round picks in the CFL are not anywhere near as important as first-round picks in the NFL. Uh, essentially, these are generally guys who are expected to come in, maybe start on special teams for a year, and become important players down the road. And it's also only Canadian guys who are drafted. Um, American guys are acquired for a different process. But okay. but it, it's still an important part of developing players for this league because there's a, there's a, a mandatory um, quota of Canadians you have to have, and the draft's the main way to get good Canadians. So anyway, this is a valuable pick. Uh, this was the fifth overall pick. They used it on uh, Amit Paul, who is a defensive end out of Wofford, this uh, tiny little college. And um, essentially, uh, he he didn't really impress during their training camp. Uh, he got injured towards the end of that. Now, when, some, when a player gets injured like that, usually what teams will do, especially if he's a valuable player like this guy they just spent a draft pick on, they'll put him on their injured roster. That means that uh, other teams can't claim him. But it's a nine-game injured list, so it means that generally they're gone for half the season. Uh, for whatever reason, the Stampeders decided not to do that, uh, and essentially they just released Paul. Under an, and now they had a little side agreement with him, saying, "Okay, you can, uh, we'll we'll pay for you to stay in Calgary. We'll pay for you to train and rehab and all that. And then once you're healed up, we'll sign you again." 
But the thing is, doing that uh, essentially left him open to the rest of the league. Montreal swooped in, uh, signed a deal with him, and uh, now he's now what? So it, it, in my mind, um, it, it was a screw-up by the Stampiers on at least one of two fronts. I mean, either they made a, a, ter- a terrible roster management decision, letting, letting their first-round pick go, and, and he's going to turn out to a guy who winds up being a great star, or they got the roster decision right and they screwed up the draft pick because if he, <laughs> if he wasn't worth protecting, I mean, that doesn't say very good things about their draft. Right. If you're taking the fifth, the number five pick of the draft and he's not good enough to keep around, you've screwed up the pick pretty massively. Um, there is one other uh, Iowa product mm-hmm. in, the, in the CFL and, and a very accomplished one at that, mm-hmm. Jovan Johnson. Uh, former Iowa corner, now plays corner for um, for Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was, I, I believe, the most outstanding defensive player yeah. of the year. Yeah, and, and it also returns punts for him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, he ret- he's a returner for them as well. Uh, he he's been pretty successful in that. But where he really stands out is as a defensive back, and uh, he led the league in interceptions last year. Uh, what's really remarkable about Jovan Johnson winning uh, Most Outstanding Defensive Player is that's the first time in CFL history a defensive back has ever won that award. And uh, this that award doesn't stretch back quite as far as the CFL itself, but it goes back about 40 years. So this is something that's usually given to a dominant defensive lineman or a linebacker, somebody who really racks up the sacks or the tackles. <laughs> Jovan Johnson comes, uh, comes in. Uh, he, I mean, he's obviously been up here a while, been very successful for a long while, but he really took that to a new level last year, led league in interceptions, and managed to get voters to look past that uh, bias towards sack artists. Um, how is his team this year? How is how's Winnipeg going to be, or, or do we not yet know? Well, the thing with Winnipeg, um, they made, two years ago, they were the worst team in the league. They were 4-14. Four and 14. Last year, they went to the Grey Cup. They went where they wound up losing to BC, but uh, I mean, it was a pretty radical turnaround. The thinking with a lot of people this year is that they're going to take a bit of a step back from that because they lost some key guys in free agency, especially uh, guard Brendan Labatt. And also the rest of their division looks to have gotten a lot better. Um, there were big trades in Hamilton to bring in Henry Burris, who we talked about earlier, and in Toronto to bring in Ricky Ray. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tougher task for them. Uh, they obviously had some problems in their opening loss to BC. Uh, they lost uh, 33-16, and their real issue there was their offensive line couldn't block anyone. But the Winnipeg defense still looks pretty good, and uh, Johnson is going to be the pivotal figure there. Um, Johnson was ranked, I think, fifth in this uh, in the TSN top mm-hmm. fifty players of the year, which is a thing. I mean, it, 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 they talk about it on not just on the telecast, but the players are talking about it on the sidelines. Um, I thought that was incredibly interesting. Drew Tate made the top fifty, mm-hmm. um, but I noticed in looking at it that that Montreal has a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listed at the top. Are they the team to beat this year, or 
Um, is that just that they have three or four guys who are really good? Uh, it, it's, it's a bit of both, I think. Uh, I, I think they're a very dominant team. Um, they're my pick to come out of the East Division, but it's going to be a very close-fought East Division just because of all those upgrades teams have made. But uh, they have three guys who are absolutely at the top of their game, and those are probably some of the ones you saw. Quarterback uh, Anthony Calvillo is the CFL's life time career passing leader he set that record last year and he still led the league in passing yards last year as well so he's just an incredible player um and he can dissect a cfl defense like just like no one else uh, he struggled a bit in uh, that game against calgary obviously but uh, i think he's likely to bounce back they also have jamel richardson who just dominated uh, the receiving game last year uh picked up uh, 1,777 receiving yards, way more than anyone else. So he's he's pretty much he, – he's either the best receiver in the league or he's tied with somebody else. And uh, then they've got Brandon Whitaker, who led the league in rushing last year. So, uh, I mean, that's a pretty incredible set of offensive firepower there. The Owlets do have some big concerns, especially on the defensive side, but they're they're a team that's pretty stacked on the offensive side. And their coach is Mark Trestman, mm-hmm. who who was discussed very briefly for the Iowa offensive coordinator job. Um, what's what's the book on him? Is he is he pass first? I guess it's CFL. You almost have to be, but. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's his uh, track record up there? The funny thing is I hadn't even heard that, but Mark Dressman has been discussed for just about every open job over the last <laughs> year. He was rumored to be the head, new head coach of the Buffalo Bills, the new head coach of the Oakland Raiders. Uh, he, a lot of people thought he was going to get the job at uh, Minnesota. So, yeah, yeah so, I mean, uh, this is this is a guy who – he well, and I mean the reason he's talked about for all these jobs is he's an incredible offensive mind, and uh, his team has had some inc- remarkable success, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they won back-to-back Grey Cups in 2009 and 2010, which is something that nobody had done in over a decade, and uh, essentially, uh, his his team, yeah, they they look. They're, they're, they're quite focused on the pass, obviously. They mix, but they mix in the run at great times, uh, when, when teams often aren't expecting it. What's interesting is that a lot of the CFL teams are way more about the deep ball. Montreal, probably because they've got an older quarterback in Calvillo, who's turning 40 this year. They're way, they're more sort of a West Coast offense. Uh, they throw a lot of quick, efficient, short passes. And their receivers have become so good at that that it's very difficult to stop their offense when it's clicking. Essentially, what it often looks like is a bunch of five, seven-yard outs and slants, and they're there before the defensive backs can even get going, really, because of the motion off of the line. So Montreal, when everything's working, they're a very difficult team to stop, and a lot of that is thanks to what Mark Dressman has been able to do there. The other uh, the other team that that looks like a favorite at least is is BC who's mm-hmm. the defending champion. Um, what's the book on them? I know they have their quarterback is considered if not the best one of the best quarterbacks in the league. 
Yeah, uh, BC's my pick to win the Grey Cup again this year. Uh, they've got a, a pretty impressive collection of talent. Uh, that quarterback you mentioned, Travis Lule, is one of the CFL's real up-and-coming young stars. Now, I mean, young, of course, is relative, because as, <laughs> as we talked about, uh, Tate's the youngest guy. Lule's a little older than him. I think he's 28 or 29. But um, he, he's really come into his own as a CFL player uh, last year. He uh, The Lions actually started the season 0-5, and then they turned it around, went on an incredible run, and won the Grey Cup. Uh, and uh, Lule fished second in the league in passing yards. Um, he's interesting because in a lot of ways he's sort of the reverse of Calvio. He doesn't, com- he doesn't have as high of a completion percentage, but he's very good at the deep ball, at uh, finding guys open deep and in one-on-one situations and so on. And uh, Lule's got some good pieces to work with, too. I mean, uh, he's got uh, G. Roy Simon, who this week became the CFL's career receiving leader, which is pretty remarkable. And he's still at the very top of his game. He was second in receiving yards last year. Uh, they've got a good Canadian running back in Andrew Harris. And where they really stand out is on the defensive side of the ball. They've got some incredible players there. They've got um, their secondary it might be about, well, it was probably the best in the league last year, right up there with Winnipeg, certainly. And then they went out and they added two more uh, all-stars to it in the offseason. So it's going to be very tough to throw the ball against them. And the other really remarkable thing on their defense is that they're the massive guy in the middle, defensive tackle Khalif Mitchell. This is a guy, he had a workout with the Miami Dolphins in the offseason. They loved him. They uh, they wanted to sign him. He, he was thinking about it, and they was like, no, I'd rather go back to BC and play in the CFL, which is something you never hear, really, right? Like most of the guys here, uh, especially the Americans, want to go to the the big money, the big show of the NFL. For whatever reason, Khalif Mitchell decided he loved it where he was, and so his return makes BC a real force. Um, you talked about the the money draw of the mm-hmm. NFL. Is there a is there a CFL salary cap, and you know what's the typical uh, what's the typical pay? Oh, man. <laughs> the, the, the CFL, yeah, the, the team, the salary cap per team is, I believe, uh, it's a, it's between three and four million. So that's for oh boy. all your players. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, uh, the, the average salary is pretty terrible. Um, good, good quarterbacks like guys like Lule, um, and Calville and R- Ricky Ray are probably making, say, Four hundred to five hundred thousand a year, but that's the absolute peak. Um, rookies, on the other hand, are making closer to the minimum, which I think it's between thirty and forty thousand a year or so. So not very much at all. A lot of guys have to work um, off uh, other jobs in the off season. <laughs> but uh, uh, at- don't hear that so much in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it well, and I mean, you can understand why guys want to go to the NFL. I mean, even if you're on an NFL practice roster if you're on an nfl practice roster you make i think about eighty-five thousand a year now which is pretty much it's sort of a average cfl veteran salary if you manage to make it make it onto an active roster then the minimum salary is about what it would be for a top cfl quarterback so you can understand why a lot of guys try to use the cfl as a stepping stone to the nfl now there had been a a rule three or four years ago where i think 
players in the last year of their contract and see if mm-hmm. can make a jump to the NFL mm-hmm. if, if allowed. Does that still exist? No, it doesn't, and that's quite controversial. Uh, that, that actually that's taken out in the latest CBA, which was signed in 2010. And so essentially what it is now is, uh, and also the, the those old grandfather contracts have now expired. So what is now is that essentially uh, the only players who can try the NFL are outright free agents. Uh, it used to be that you, if you had a year left and you had one of those NFL options, you could go try the NFL, and then if it didn't work out, you're, the, uh, the one CFL team you were with still owned your rights. So this is quite a significant change, and what's what's uh, notable about it is that a lot of people in the CFL are thinking, okay, is this really a good thing now? Because the problem with it is it makes it harder to attract uh, to attract talent up here, right? Is a, sure. Because the thing is, a lot of guys, like I said, see this league as a stepping stone to the NFL. But the re- and sure, the CFL was losing a lot of them, and that's never uh, well. It's not a great thing for the league. But the thing is, though, for all the guys who think they can make it to the NFL, only a very few can actually even get a look, and only a few of that will act of those guys will actually catch on. So um, some people are thinking, myself included, are thinking that maybe the league went a bit too far here and they should bring back that option year in order to be able to um, attract more top talent. Um, we talked a little bit about BC and Montreal mm-hmm. and Calgary. What other team, if there's somebody who's going to be tuning in for the first time mm-hmm. to watch CFL, what, what team should they be looking for? That's an entertaining team to watch. Well, I think a team that's going to be incredibly entertaining this year is Toronto. And uh, that's interesting because the last couple of the last, most of the last decade, really, since they won the Grey Cup last uh, in 04, Toronto has really struggled. So, but they made a huge offseason splash. Uh, they traded for Ricky Ray from Edmonton, who's uh, one, been one of the top CFL quarterbacks for pretty much most of the last decade. Uh, he still had a very good season last year, seems to have quite a lot left. And so they've gone from, uh, they're not necessarily a great team yet, but they're going to be a vastly more entertaining team this year because uh, they're, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot more. They're going to have a really pass-focused offense, and uh, how good they are is going to depend on uh, essentially if their defense is able to come along with it. Well, um, CFL began their season last uh, last week. They run through, I think, mid-November. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was the end yeah. of November when the Grey Cups played. Okay. And, and how's the playoff system work? Uh, who gets in or how many teams get in? Uh, well, it's it's an eight-team league. Uh, six of the eight teams make the playoffs. And what, it's usually the top three in each division uh, with second and third playing each other. And then uh, first gets by, winner, second and third goes and plays first in each division. But there's also there's a unique thing to the CFL called this crossover rule. And what that is is if – one division is really bad and one division is really good. And the fourth place team in one division has a better record than the third place in the other division. They cross over to the other side. So if you're at, and so they would take that third place slot, play the second place team. If they win, they play the first place team. So it's quite possible to see a gray cup between two Western teams or two Eastern teams, but it's never happened yet. Okay. 
Um, I was going to ask you, I couldn't find a good answer for this. Is the NFL Network going to show CFL this year? They are not, unfortunately. Um, they did, okay. they did last year, which was great for the league. Uh, at the moment, CFL games are only on ESPN free in the U.S., but the league is apparently in negotiations with somebody else to try and get a TV deal done. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, we'll keep watching on ESPN three. Uh, Andrew Buckholz, 55 yard line. Read him. Uh, he's incredibly entertaining and, and is writing about Drew and Jovan. So, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Patrick.